please subscribe and leave a review of Dorky wherever you get your podcasts. Also, you can support the pod if you'd like. You can use PayPal or buy me a coffee. There are links to both methods on Dorky's website and in the show notes of this episode. Thank you so much. Before the episode, let me tell you about an amazing online boutique that I just know you're going to love. Save Boutique, that's spelled S-A-I-V, is a great place for clothes, accessories, and shoes. One of the great things about Save is that it's size inclusive. Most items Save offers are available in sizes from small to 3X, and they're looking into ways to offer even more sizing options. They also drop new items every week, so there are always new things to choose from. They even offer three buy now, pay later options. Shop Pay, Klarna, and Afterpay. One last thing, they're offering a discount to DoorKey listeners. Just enter the code DOORKEY, that's D-O-O-R-K-E-Y, all caps, no spaces, for a 10% discount. I even put a link to Save Boutique in the description notes of this episode that will take you directly there and automatically apply the discount at checkout. So check out the amazing clothes, accessories, and shoes Save Boutique, that's S-A-I-V Boutique.com, has to offer. You'll be so glad you did. Hello. This is Dorky. I'm your host, April. This is a podcast about history. I'm going to be discussing events, people, and sometimes just random things from history that interest me and are important. I am absolutely not a historian. I'm just a dork who spends a lot of time watching, reading, listening to anything I can get my hands on about history. And I want to talk about it. I think a lot can be learned from looking into the past, and I'd like to share what I've learned, and my opinion about what I've learned, and I hope you enjoy it. Hello there. I know it's been a while, so I'm going to start this episode out with some housekeeping. About the recent lack of new episodes. I'd prefer to not get too into it, except to say that I was ill. Very ill. I'm recovering and doing well, and that's really all I'd like to say about that. I thought about how I was going to handle the pod's hiatus, and I've decided that the best way is to just acknowledge that it happened, apologize, thank you all from the very bottom of my heart for being so patient and kind about the delay, and then move on and pretend like the past few months never happened. Because, to be perfectly honest, I'd like to forget them. Also, I had this final Halloween episode written that I'm determined to release. So here it is. I also wanted to mention that I created an Instagram for the pod, so be sure to follow it. It's at DorkyPod. That's all one word, no caps. One last thing before the episode starts. Please bear with me. I'm a bit rusty. I have three different stories to tell you today. They're all great, spooky stories 
but none of them are long enough to make a full episode. So I thought I'd end the October Spooktacular by combining all of these stories into one episode. They're too good to pass up, and I'm certainly not going to discriminate against a great story just because it's short. Here's the first story. I do realize that the last episode was about axe murders, but the first story I'm going to tell today is about more unsolved axe murders. But these ones have a twist. I'm going to talk about the Axeman of New Orleans. He was a serial killer that attacked several homes and families in the New Orleans area between 1918 and 1919. He would remove a panel from the back door of a home with a chisel to get into the house, then attack the people in the home with an axe. Not all of the victims of his attacks died, but many did. The people of New Orleans were very upset about these murders that the police weren't able to solve, and the attacks were getting a lot of attention in the press. Then, one day, the New Orleans newspaper, the Times-Picayune, got a letter from the Axeman and printed it. Here's what the letter said. Hell, March 13, 1919. Esteemed mortal, they have never caught me, and they never will. They have never seen me, for I am invisible, even as the ether that surrounds your earth. I am not a human being, but a spirit and a demon from the hottest hell. I am what you Orleanians and your foolish police call the Axeman. When I see fit, I shall come and claim other victims. I alone know whom they shall be. I shall leave no clue except my bloody axe. Be smeared with blood and brains of he whom I have sent below to keep me company. If you wish, you may tell the police to be careful not to rile me. Of course, I am a reasonable spirit. I take no offense at the way they have conducted their investigations in the past. In fact, they have been so utterly stupid as to not only amuse me, but his satanic majesty, Francis, Joseph, etc. But tell them to beware. Let them not try to discover what I am, for it were better that they were never born than to occur the wrath of the axemen. I don't think there is any need of such a warning, for I feel sure the police will always dodge me, as they have in the past. They are wise and know how to keep away from all harm. Undoubtedly, you Orleanians think of me as a most horrible murderer, which I am, but I could be much worse if I wanted to. If I wished, I could pay a visit to your city every night. At will, I could slay thousands of your best citizens, for I am in close relationship with the angel of death. Now, to be exact, at 12.15, earthly time, on next Tuesday night, I'm going to pass over New Orleans. In my infinite mercy, I'm going to make a little proposition to you people. Here it is. I am very fond of jazz music, and I swear by all the devils in the nether regions that every person shall be spared in whose home a jazz band is in full swing at the time I have just mentioned. If everyone has a jazz band going, well, then, so much the better for you people. One thing is certain, and that is that some of your people who do not jazz it out on that specific Tuesday night, if there be any, will get the axe. 
well as i am cold and crave the warmth of my native tartarus and it is about time i leave your earthly home i will cease my discourse hoping that thou wilt publish this and it may go well with thee i have been am and will be the worst spirit that ever existed either in fact or realm of fantasy the axman the ninth of tuesday march nineteenth all of the dance halls in new orleans were filled and bands played jazz at parties at houses all over the city as the letter the axman sent promised there were no murders that night unfortunately this wasn't the end of the crime spree the axman of new orleans would continue his attacks for about six more months until october of nineteen nineteen then the attacks stopped just as mysteriously as they began unfortunately they never caught him and his murders still remain unsolved to this day but i just love that for one evening all of new orleans was united listening and dancing to jazz music safe from the axemen at least for that one night okay on to story number two this is a rough one i'm going to talk about ronald o'brien or as he's also known the man who killed halloween ronald clark o'brien lived with his wife son and daughter in deer park texas he was an optician and was also a deacon at the second baptist church where he sang in the choir and ran a local bus program on halloween 1974 ronald took his two children trick-or-treating with a neighbor and his two children they went to a house where no one answered the door and the children ran ahead to the next home while ronald stayed behind he then caught up with the rest of the group and showed them five twenty-one inch which is five hundred and thirty millimeter pixie sticks which he said were given to him by the person who lived in the house that hadn't answered the door at the end of the evening ronald gave each of his neighbors two children a pixie stick and then one each to his son timothy and his daughter elizabeth when he got home ronald gave the fifth pixie stick to a ten-year-old boy who was a member of the church he went to before bed that night timothy asked if he could eat some of the candy he got according to ronald he chose the pixie stick timothy had trouble getting the powdered candy out of the straw so ronald helped him after tasting the candy timothy said that it tasted bitter so ronald gave him kool-aid to wash away the taste timothy's stomach immediately began to hurt and he ran to the bathroom where he began vomiting and convulsing ronald later claimed he held timothy while he was vomiting and that the child went limp in his arms unfortunately timothy o'brien died on his way to the hospital less than an hour after eating the candy after timothy's death there was an autopsy which showed that the pixie stick he had eaten had a fatal dose of potassium cyanide in it the fact that timothy died from poisoned halloween candy caused fear in the community parents in deer park and the surrounding area turned in candy their children got from trick-or-treating to the police afraid that it was poisoned as well the police didn't suspect ronald at first but then they looked at the other four of the five pixie sticks he claimed to have received which thankfully hadn't been eaten yet looking at them police could tell that all five of the pixie sticks had already been opened 
What they would find out after testing is that the top two inches, which is 51 millimeters, had been poured out and refilled with cyanide powder and then resealed with a staple. According to a pathologist who tested the pixie sticks, the candy Timothy ate had enough cyanide in it to kill two adults, while the other four contained enough to kill three or four adults. Ronald first told police that he couldn't remember which house he had gotten the pixie sticks from, but this made police suspicious because it had been raining that night, and Ronald and his neighbor had only taken their children to homes on two streets. The police then found out that none of the homes that had been visited had given out pixie sticks. After walking the neighborhood with police three times, Ronald finally took them to the house where no one had entered the door, telling the officers that he went back there before catching up with the group. He said the owner of the home did not turn the lights on, but cracked the door open and handed him five pixie sticks. Ronald said he'd only seen the man's arm, which he described as, quote, hairy. The home was owned by a man named Courtney Melvin, who was an air traffic controller at William P. Hobby Airport and didn't get home from work until 11 p.m. on Halloween night. Police were able to rule Courtney Melvin out as a suspect when over 200 people confirmed that he had been at work that night. As police continued their investigation, they learned more about Ronald. He had trouble keeping a job. His car was about to be repossessed. He had defaulted on several bank loans, and his home had been foreclosed on. All said, he was over $100,000 in debt. That's about $602,000 in today's money. Then, police discovered that Ronald had taken out life insurance policies on both his children in the months before Timothy's death for $10,000, which is just over $60,000 in today's money. One month before Timothy's death, Ronald took out additional policies on both children. Then, a few days before Halloween, Ronald took out yet another insurance policy on each child. All these policies added up to what would be about $361,000 in today's money. Police also learned that Ronald called his insurance agent and asked about collecting on the policies he had taken out on Timothy the morning after his death. Then, police learned that Ronald had visited a chemical supply store in Houston to buy cyanide shortly before that Halloween. So, the police put it together that Ronald had laced the candy with poison to try to kill his children so that he could collect on their life insurance policies. It's believed Ronald gave other children the poisoned candy to try to cover up his crime. I know. It's horrible. Ronald was arrested but pled not guilty to all the counts he was charged with. His wife not only swore she had no idea of this plan, but at the trial, she claimed that Ronald's story of Timothy choosing to eat the pixie stick that night wasn't true. She said that Ronald had actually forced him to choose the pixie stick, but Ronald continued to maintain his innocence. His defense mainly drew upon the old urban legend about a, quote, mad poisoner who hands out Halloween candy laced with poison or needles or candy apples with razor blades inserted. These stories have persisted despite the fact that there are no documented instances of strangers poisoning Halloween candy. The jury quickly found Ronald guilty and sentenced him to death. He was executed by lethal injection in 1984. So, 
If you had to pour all of your Halloween candy out on the living room floor when you were a child so that your dad could go through it to make sure that none of the candy had been tampered with, you have Ronald Clark O'Brien to thank for that. He was a horrible, selfish man, and I think that calling him the man who killed Halloween says it all. Now, on to the third story, which is the origin story of one of Halloween's most iconic Halloween monsters. And the beginnings of a second spooky icon. When you hear the word Frankenstein, you probably think of the tall, green monster slash man with bolts in his neck. While you would be correct, that version you probably have in your head is an adaptation. Frankenstein was actually a novel written by the British author Mary Shelley. The full name of the book is Frankenstein, semicolon, or comma, the modern Prometheus. It tells the story of Victor Frankenstein, a scientist who creates a living being in a scientific experiment. Mary was 18 when she wrote it. Mary and her then-boyfriend, Percy Shelley, went to Switzerland together in the summer of 1816 to visit Lord Byron and Mary's half-sister Claire, who were dating at the time. Side note, Lord Byron was a famous British poet who may one day get an episode of his own, but for now, I'll just say that he was quite the character, to put it mildly. So, the summer of 1816 was actually very rainy. It was also chilly, as it was known as, quote, the year without a summer. It was called that because a volcano called Mount Tambora in Indonesia had erupted the year before, and it threw so much ash and dust into the air that it blocked out most of the sun. This is very rare, but it happens. It's called volcanic winter because the sun can't quite get through all the stuff caught in the atmosphere from the volcano and warm the earth as much as normal. So the summer of 1816 was much cooler than normal, not just in Europe, but pretty much the entire world. That volcano eruption was that big of a deal. Another thing I should mention is that while electricity was something that was known about at that time, it wasn't even close to being in homes yet. Side note, Edison didn't form the Edison Electric Illuminating Company of New York until 1882. So the time we're talking about is way, way before it would even be in homes. All of that to say that scientists of the day were still studying and making discoveries with electricity. So its potential was still unknown, but had definitely gotten into people's imagination. At this point, electricity was kind of in the realm of science fiction. So now that I've set the stage, here's what happened. Mary and Percy were on a vacation during that cold, rainy summer hanging out with Lord Byron and Claire. They were by Lake Geneva in Switzerland. It was too cold for them to enjoy the outdoors, so the group stayed inside reading ghost stories. Byron got the idea for them to, quote, each write a ghost story. Mary couldn't think of one. She recalled being asked, have you thought of a story, each morning, and every time being, quote, forced to reply with a mortifying negative. Then, one night, they started talking about the nature of life. Perhaps a corpse would be reanimated, Mary later recalled. Galvanism had given token of such things. Side note, galvanism is the generation of electric current by chemical action. 
The term also came to refer to the generation of electric current within biological organisms and the contraction and convulsion of biological muscle tissue upon contact with electrical current. Thanks, Google. So, after talking about this, they all went to bed, but Mary couldn't sleep. She could only think about their discussion. Remembering this later, Mary would say, quote, I saw the pale student of unhallowed arts kneeling beside the thing he had put together. I saw the hideous phantasm of a man stretched out, and then, on the working of some powerful engine, show signs of life and stir with an uneasy, half-vital motion. Frightful must it be, for supremely frightful would be the effect of any human endeavor to mock the stupendous mechanism of the creator of the world. Mary began writing what she assumed would be a short story, but with Percy's encouragement, she later extended it into a full-fledged novel. Byron managed to write just a fragment based on the vampire legends he heard while traveling the Balkans. And from this, John Polidori created The Vampire in 1819, which was the beginning of the romantic vampire literary genre. So really, not just one, but two major horror staples originated from that night, which I think is really cool and really interesting. So there you have it, three short, spooky Halloween stories. This officially ends 2022's spooktacular. Just a little late. Halloween is my favorite holiday. Surprise! And I've had so much fun talking about spooky historical topics. Thank you for indulging me. Dorky will be back next week with a regular history topic. Talk to you then. Some of the sources I used were The New Yorker, AETV, Smithsonian Mag, and Wikipedia. So that's it. That's the episode. Thank you so much for listening. You can reach me at dorkypod at gmail.com. Let me know what you think of the podcast. Let me know if I left something out or got something wrong. Or let me know if there's something in particular in history you'd like me to talk about. There's also a Facebook group called Dorky Podcast. Join it and be part of our community. Also, Please rate, review, and subscribe to this podcast wherever you're hearing it. It helps the podcast grow. But more importantly, your feedback will help me make this a better podcast. Until we meet again, friends. <laughs>